This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 19th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. At the Cato Institute's Sphere Summit held this week, attendees were treated to a frank conversation on Capitol Hill between House Democrat Zoe Lofgren and newly minted House Independent Justin Amash on political polarization, the 24-hour news cycle, and how best to arrive at consensus on Capitol Hill. Moderating the session held Wednesday evening was Cato's Jeff Vanderslice. I'd like to start by asking each of you um, to really uh, take a moment to discuss what you consider to be the cause of uh, political polarization and the apparent um, uh, dysfunction in Congress that we see currently. Um, Is it driven by leadership? Is it um, simply a, a matter of, of members of Congress echoing the sentiments that are uh, expressed by their constituents back home? Is it something else? Um, uh, Ms. Lofgren, if, if, if you would like to well, take that I, first Well, I think question. there's more than one factor, but uh, to a large extent, members of Congress tend to reflect their constituents uh, because they do have a hiring decision every other year. Uh, they do try and keep in touch with what people want them to do. And the country itself is, I think, more polarized than we've been in quite a long time. Uh, And that is reflected here in the Congress. Add into that that the way to get uh, media attention is to be extravagant in your rhetoric and to be combative. Uh, You know, that fuels some of the overblown uh, rhetoric uh, that we sometimes see here, and it's rewarded not only by media attention, but oftentimes by public acclaim. Uh, I will mention the name because it was an unfortunate event, but someone said on the floor something very negative during a State of the Union uh, address a few years ago and got a million dollars in online contributions as a reward. So there's that element uh, to it as well. It's hard to... um, change everything. But one of the things I think is that if you model good behavior, maybe that helps move things in a different direction. And that's just some of the things I I think are afoot. I'd say I largely agree with Zoe. Um, It's hard to say how we got to this point. It's, It's been a very gradual evolution. I do think that the discourse is worse now than it's been during my time in Congress. I mean, I've been here Um, This is my ninth year now, and it's gradually gotten worse. Um, I I would say that a lot of it has to do with the concentration of power in leadership, that over time, both parties have concentrated power in a few people. And uh, when you have just one or two leaders who can raise as much money as the rest of the uh, caucus combined, um, those people have a lot of influence. And they can get people into, into line. And, um, you know, committee chairmanships, committee assignments, um, uh, contributions, those are all handed out on the basis of whether you stick with your party um, or whether you're willing to take a particular vote in a particular instance. So uh, I think that creates a circumstance where the only way for people to differentiate themselves is to go really negative. Um, most of the votes are party line, most of the big votes. So when people go on the campaign trail, they differentiate themselves by going really negative on personal stuff because that's, that's all they really have. 
we don't have that many opportunities to vote on a variety of amendments that are not vetted by leadership. So amendments that truly come from the body. And, uh, and that means we don't get to differentiate ourselves as much as we'd like to through policy. And if we zoom out and look at this from a 30,000 foot level, is this, is this concerning to you? Is it, is it you know, beyond just you know, the work that you're able to get done here in Congress, is it concerning to you on a more foundational level? And similarly, should the rest of us be fundamentally concerned that this is happening in Congress? Well, if, if I may, I think the two parties are organized slightly differently in, in the Congress. Um, on the Democratic side, generally the committee assignments are done by a seniority um, in the chairmanship. I mean, we have a vote, but it's almost never varies from seniority. That's very different on the Republican side. That was changed when Newt Gingrich became a speaker in uh, 1995, my first uh, day in, in Congress. Um, I do think, you know, there's a back and forth between empowering the rank and file and somebody pulling it together so you can move off in one direction. And prior to uh, the 94 election, the committee chairman had gotten to such a point where they were like fiefdoms and there was no way to actually have cohesion uh, on the majority party because nobody was in charge. And I think Gingrich completely upended that system and took it too far in the other direction so that too much of the authority is vested uh, in, was vested in the speaker as opposed to the committees. I think we're in moving in the other direction now, which is a healthy thing. Um, but it's hard to get it is hurting cats uh, to get everybody moving in the, in the same direction in a policy point of view. I was asked coming out of a, a caucus meeting the other day on whether or not people agreed with a resolution condemning the president's tweets or whether they, there was a division on censor. And I said, look, you know, we've got uh, all these Democrats and each one of them would like it to be exactly the way they want it. Right? They'd like to write it their way, but you can't have that. I mean, you got to have some kind of cohesion and understand that to get anything done, you don't get 100% of the way you want it. And certainly, um, Justin and I don't agree on everything, but we've managed to work together successfully on a lot of things because you know we're focused on trying to accomplish something. I think it remains to be seen whether we're moving in the, in the right direction um, in this Congress. Uh, we have it. Let me yeah. make it clear: just power, location, leadership versus. Teams. Yeah, I'm not saying. I'd like to see other things are going, right. going great. No, no, I, I understand that. Um, and you know, as an independent, I'm not trying to make a partisan point either. No. Um, but uh, I think it remains to be seen whether the uh, the place is becoming more deliberative. The the body is supposed to be deliberative. That's how the framers of the Constitution intended it, that we'd go and discover the outcomes. And instead, the outcomes are dictated to us by a few people. And I think so many of my colleagues, especially on the right, because I've dealt with them the most over the years, are missing the forest for the trees. So they're, they're constantly worried about the substantive issues of the day, you know, how they can push conservative legislation through but they're constantly undermining the institution itself. 
And if you undermine the institution, it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left, we're going to have a bad outcome for our country. And I think the reason our country has been so successful so, for so many years, why we have uh, very much a classical liberal tradition that has thrived is because we have strong institutions, our constitution, the rules of the house. We have a structure in our constitutional republic that allows very uh, liberty-oriented outcomes to rise to the surface. And as you concentrate more power in a few people, you really break down the system. Separation of powers, for example, uh, is really broken down in a system that where the uh, party leadership control and dominate. Because when you think about it, when you have only a few people who control everything, the president doesn't have to negotiate with that many people. He only has to negotiate with the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader because they can get their people in line. If instead the president had to negotiate with the entirety of Congress where the outcomes are discovered and you hand something to the president, you say, here's, here's the bill that passed both houses. Now, are you going to sign it? He can't just say to the Speaker or the Senate Majority Leader, hey, could you make this change or that change? They would say to him, well, I have to take it back to the whole body and we're going to have to go through the whole process again and people might be able to offer different ideas. That really, um, that system, the system the framers intended, really disempowers the executive and puts lawmaking back in the hands of Congress. And that's the way it's supposed to work. So I, I think, yeah, we do have a bigger problem. And the worst part of it is people at home don't see it. We're, we're so focused on the substantive issues. When you watch Fox News or CNN or, or MSNBC, nobody is talking about the process of government. They're all talking about uh, the substantive issues of the day. And often it's just the messages you want to send to the other side. I think, to some extent, the point you've made on, on the news is an important one because the news cycle is so swift now, not just with cable TV, but with all social media, that you know things that happened Monday, it seems like it was forever ago. And so the, the body itself is trying to react to the news cycle, and it really doesn't leave time for the kind of deliberation that used to be really part of how the House of Representatives operated. I would just disagree slightly with Justin in terms of how you move forward, because if the leadership, I mean, I think about, you know, what I, I don't purport to know how the Republican uh, conference really works, because I don't go into their meetings, but I go on our side of the aisle, and there's different people thinking different things, and they're not exactly what you might think. I mean, there's, uh, you know, this point of view on this uh, issue. And the leadership needs to figure out how do you get to consensus to move forward? See, the leadership would never agree to something that people didn't support. Uh, because on our side, at least, people will vote the other way if it's not really something that they can, can support. So I think that's really a matter of whether you're, you're talented in understanding where your group is and what is a, is a common point where you can move forward. I would just rebut by saying the consensus is supposed to be discovered through the process. That's why we have our system of government the way it is. You're supposed to go to the House floor, offer amendments, offer your ideas, have real debate, which we barely have. I mean, if you watch Congress, there is rarely real debate that goes on in Congress. 
So we're supposed to discover the consensus through the process. Instead, uh, we shortchange the process. We try to find the consensus ahead of time and then try to twist arms to get people to fall in line. I think that's a mistake. It creates more partisanship. It, make, it creates more angst for members of Congress. And I think it gets people at home uh, to miss the big picture of, of what our system is all about. I think there's truth to what you're saying. And I think back to the amendment we had a few days ago. I didn't offer it, but it was had to do with whether you would prohibit sending the military to enforce immigration law. That's posse comitatus. That's existing law. You can't do that. And a majority of the House voted, essentially, to repeal that bedrock of American law without any debate or, I think, yep. thorough understanding of what the vote meant. And why? I mean, there was very limited debate, but also no one's there. So it used to be before C-SPAN existed, with all due respect to C-SPAN, members would go to the floor and listen to the debate. That was the only way to find out what was going on. That no longer happens. Yeah, and we have, um, we have two-minute votes, and things move very quickly. But again, I think this can be largely corrected uh, by having leaders who take charge and do the right thing. So the Speaker of the House, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or someone else, um, and I've, I've been very critical of Republican Speakers of the House, to be clear. Um, I have a long history of criticizing Republican Speakers of the House. Um, but whether it's the Republican Speaker or the Democratic Speaker, they, that person can take control of things. And I don't mean take control of things by running it top down, but by opening up the process, by offering more time, by uh, creating an environment that encourages people to go to the House floor and debate. The Speaker has the opportunity to do that, and the Speaker is the one person who can really change the culture of Congress. Congressman, a minute ago you uh, mentioned a word that stood out to me because I have a quote here that I wanted to read. You, you mentioned the word legitimacy, right? And it's something that I worry about as, you know, the, the uh, discourse kind of, uh, you know, in Congress, um, you know, goes on a downward spiral. Um, it's a quote uh, that I came across in 2016 when uh, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas was giving some remarks before a, just, uh, a Washington, D.C. audience. He said, this city is broken in some ways. I think we have decided that rather than confront the disagreements and the differences of opinion, we'll just simply annihilate the other person who disagrees with me. I don't think that's going to work in a republic or in a civil society. At some point, we have to recognize that we're destroying our institutions and we're undermining our institutions. And the day is going to come, if it's not already here, that we're going to need the institutions and the integrity of those institutions. So even when you disagree with the with people, it's important to leave them standing and to leave the institutions standing. And he goes on to say, but I don't think that's going to change in this city until we get back to the notion that we argue, that we debate, that we decide things based on logic and facts and reason, as opposed to who yells the loudest or who has the best narrative or the best meme or some other nonsense. Um, any any reactions uh, to that? Well, that's, that's right. I mean, that's... Um, that's really the, the problem with Washington today is that uh, people are trying to crush the other side. They think it's an all-out war and one side wins and the other side loses. And that's how a lot of members of Congress think about it. And uh, unfortunately, more and more people at home are thinking that way as well. All you have to do is go on social media and, and see what a lot of people say. 
And um, one of the things that's really been lost in Congress is the art of persuasion. Nobody attempts to persuade people. Uh, when I go back home to my district and I hold a town hall, my goal is to persuade people. At least part, part of my goal, besides learning from the people I represent, is to persuade them of uh, why I voted a certain way and how my principles are the same as their principles. And I've applied them in a, in a way to this subject. And uh, I want them to see how, how I applied those principles. So persuading people at home, persuading your colleagues is really a lost art. It doesn't happen. And uh, it, it's related to the breakdown in debate. We don't really have debate anymore on the House floor. And a lot of things are just handed to us now by leaders. I, you know, I think oftentimes there is, it's, it is hurried. Um, we've tried to persuade people right. on, on the various efforts we've done on surveillance, actually, at 702 and other, other issues. Um, and sometimes we succeeded and sometimes we didn't. Um, but there's another issue, which is a common agreement on facts, which is missing in some cases. And if you can't agree on what the facts are that are ascertainable, it's very difficult to move forward. I, in addition to the Judiciary Committee, and I serve on the uh, House Science Committee, and we're in a much better position this year on the Science Committee than we were last year because of uh, really uh, much improved leadership on the Republican side of the aisle. And we are back to actually having scientists come and testify about science that they have reviewed. And it's a wonderful thing. Um, we had a fabulous hearing uh, from glaciologists. And the, the glaciers are collapsing worldwide. And I couldn't figure out which witness was a Republican witness and which witness was the Democratic witness. And that's a good thing. You just want the scientists there. So that's a little bit of good news in an area that's not always a happy, happy news site. There is, there is this disagreement on facts. And uh, I would, again, uh, go back to leaders and, and point to the fact that a lot of times uh, the leadership teams, the uh, committee chairmen are handing information to their members that is not factual. Uh, I've had many times where I've gone to conference and pointed something out, and I can even hold up a piece of legislation and read the line in the legislation, and the, the leadership team will act like I didn't say anything, like they didn't understand what I was saying and it didn't mean anything to them, even though it's in the legislation. And then uh, frequently when Zoe and I are trying to persuade people, we'll run into the problem of uh, false information that they've been given by someone else, and it's, it's designed to create just enough doubt in the person's mind so that they won't go with you on the particular issue. We might want to persuade them uh, to protect Americans' privacy, for example, or uh, to protect the, the rights of American citizens when they're detained. Um, but the leadership team or someone in Congress who's on the other side will embed some false information uh, into the discussion just so that there's a little bit of that buzz going out there that um, what Zoe and Justin are saying is not true. Um, actually, they're trying to help, you know, terrorists or they're, you know, it's, it's something like that quite often. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that you uh, both have brought up the, um, uh, your work together on surveillance issues, right? Because 
tonight's discussion is titled Working Together in Congress, right? We've identified the many areas uh, in which things are going wrong. Um, uh, but you two um, have set a great example of how to work uh, together in Congress, despite what I think is safe to say, uh, the fact that you two are not ideological soulmates, right? Uh, you work well together on, on a number of issues. Uh, can you share with us how that relationship uh, developed, uh, despite your dis dissimilarities? Well, I don't know where it started exactly. <laughs> I think it was the uh, 702. Yeah. And I think we were here on one of these, you know, vote marathons. And you and Massey and Beto O'Rourke and some other people all came to my office about 11.30 at night to kind of craft out an amendment on having to do with protecting privacy. I remember that thinking, who in their right mind has meetings at 11.30 at night at <laughs> the Congress? And, and then actually we put that together and we didn't succeed then, but we, and, and our staffs worked together. And I, I have a theory that once you can do some, one thing with someone you disagree with, it makes it easier to do other things. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we don't agree on everything. And so I respect Justin for, you know, things he believes in and I don't believe in and doesn't make him a bad person or me a bad person. We just don't agree on everything. Doesn't mean we can't work on what we do agree on, right? Yeah, and I, I think uh, Zoe's right that uh, having that opportunity to work on even one thing can really change the relationship and uh, open it up to other possibilities. So because we worked on FISA 702, a, a privacy issue, um, now I might go to her on a number of other issues and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or or even if she's not maybe the uh, particular expert on that issue, she might know someone in her caucus who is the particular expert who might be able to work with me. And, um, and that's very helpful. What would you say are the, the key ingredients, really, the, the secret sauce, if you will, to, to working together? Um, and, and, and not just in Congress, but you know, for, for all of us, a, a message to all of us, as we go back to our workplaces, to our classrooms, um, to, to our family dinner table, what, what, what's, what's necessarily necessary <laughs> to have uh, you know, respectful uh, dialogue? Well, I think it's uh, that you have to recognize that people develop their ideas uh, through their own experiences. And a, a lot of my colleagues assume that because someone has different ideas, that person is bad or evil. And um, you know, I'm a very libertarian person, but I can work with someone who has very different positions because I know that they grew up in a different situation, they had different experiences in their life, and they have different reasons they came to their positions. That doesn't mean that I think those positions are correct or I think the philosophy they hold is correct, but my job is to persuade them and to understand that they're coming at it uh, through the honesty of their own experiences. And um, I think respecting that and understanding that is really important, uh, rather than viewing people as bad or evil because they have differences. I, I think it helps not to question people's um, integrity, um, even though there are people probably in both parties where that might not be inappropriate. But generally, <laughs> it's a good idea not to try and say, well, he thinks or she thinks that because of X, Y, and Z. Just take what people say and work with it. And I think the other thing is to do what you can and, and not um, 
not hold out for doing everything. I mean, there are some things, matters of the Constitution or morality, where you really can't compromise. I mean, you have to take your vote and you see what it has, but a lot of things are not in that category. So try and find progress. And if you get 80%, it's better than zero. That's great. I, uh, in, in, in reading about the coverage of uh, 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 the passage of um, passing, excuse me, of, of uh, Justice Stevens uh, yesterday, I came across this quote, which I thought was perfectly um, uh, suitable for, for tonight, which uh, about 60 years ago, he wrote uh, the about the importance of understanding people before disagreeing, right? Um, and, and, and I think you both have kind of expressed uh, basically the same uh, sentiment as well. Um, we're in a room full of teachers, right? One from San Jose. One from San Jose. Are there any Michiganders in the room? One? A former, former Michigan. you got to come okay, back. You. I think we have some additional Californians as well. That's great. California, great, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so I want to. We're going to open up the floor in a moment for Q and A with with the audience. But I want to ask just a couple of questions. What, in your experience, maybe you recollect a a, a lesson from you know junior high or senior high. Um, or maybe you have uh, more recent uh, experiences. What do you think teachers uh, most often get wrong about Congress and how it works? Hmm. What do they get wrong? Well, it, it, it doesn't work the way you're teaching it. So, <laughs> so uh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm just a bill is not how it's actually working these days. So, um, I, you know, I wished it worked more like that, but it, it doesn't really. Um, I, I think um, I'll go back to what I said before. Uh, there's a lot of talk about substance, and I'm sure sometimes you talk about substantive issues and what does the Republican Party believe and what does the Democratic Party believe and all that and and the general debate they have on particular issues. But the process is broken, and I think people don't uh, really um, understand how much that affects the overall discourse in Congress and the overall discourse in society. I, I think that a lot of the negativity and the hostility has to do with this broken process. And um, you know, maybe that would be a good thing to emphasize when you're talking about um, our political system, that our institutions allow us to have the successful country that we have. And uh, if we don't follow these institutions, all the differences between the parties or individuals aren't really that important because uh, we're going to have an unsuccessful country if we don't stick to our constitution and stick to our rules. There's a booklet that maybe some teachers have. It's called How Our Laws Are Made. And I, I sometimes I used to send them out to schools. I no longer do because it's not how our laws are made. Um, <laughs> but... I do think the rules can be moving, you know, in a better direction. For example, we now are required, and I think this is an improvement. You you're not supposed to have a bill under the regular order, not the suspension calendar, unless you've had a hearing and a markup. That didn't. You, that wasn't the case, and so it really you have to c comply with. And there's things you want to do, but you have to stop. Say, I need to notice a hearing. 
I need a notice in a, a 48 hours for a markup. And so is it perfect? No, but it is really better than it was. And maybe we can make it better still. Zoe Lofgren is a Democrat in the U.S. House. Justin Amash is an independent in the U.S. House. The discussion was moderated by Jeff Vanderslice. They spoke at the Cato Institute's Sphere Summit held this week in Washington, D.C. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.